You ever find yourself feeling as though you're sort of slipping in and out of the grace of God? You know, it's some mornings, some days, you feel like you're walking with the Lord and everything's just firing on all eight cylinders. And other days you feel like, man, I fell to that thing again, or man, my mind has wandered off into this. And I know that's not pleasing to the Lord. And, you know, am I really saved? If I was, how could I be doing these sorts of things? And that kind of thinking sort of drives you to, you know, um, work for the Lord, you know, do lots and lots of good things that you can do for the Lord. But the motivation behind it is one of trying to get back to uh, a standing that you don't feel like you have with God right now. Uh, you're not alone. A lot of people wrestle with that. A lot of people, you know, all the time are wrestling with the idea, am I really saved? Because if I, if I was, would I still be doing X? Would I still be doing this, that, or you fill in the blank. Um, well, I wanted to talk to that today a little bit. Um, yeah, we talk a lot about law and grace uh, as we make our way through the Word, as we uh, post, you know, these various topics. Now, we talk a lot about law and grace, and we talk about it uh, from a number of different angles. Sometimes we just really approach it uh, from a very just strongly theological perspective. Here's what the Scripture has to say about grace, law, and the interaction, and uh, what what place the law served, Galatians chapter 3, you know, we point to quite a bit in this, where Paul talks about the purpose of the law being a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, ultimately, but the law doesn't save, we see this throughout the book of Romans, and all of sin falls short of the glory of God, in other words, no matter how hard anyone has ever tried to uh, live up to the requirements of the law, there's no possible way to do it, and that is the point, and that's why Paul in Galatians 3 talks about uh, the purpose of the law. Matter of fact, in Romans 2, Galatians is sort of like a mini Romans in some respects. Um, so we talk about it from that perspective and that sort of context, the idea of, you know, what is the theological uh, and even soteriological connection uh, between law and grace? Is there one? Does the law play any part in, in our salvation or is it by grace alone? Well, of course, if you follow this channel, you know we believe very strongly uh, that salvation is by grace alone, received through faith, and is completely the work of God uh, in the life of the believer. And it's important that we understand that this is not just in terms of the arriving at that place of salvation, the point of conversion where you've put your trust in the person of Christ and now you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of your sin. Uh, and saved to a right relationship with God, and, and is, which is exactly that, a relationship with God that is in right standing. And because it is in right standing, it becomes rich and meaningful and can grow deeper and deeper uh, as, a, as a child with a, a father, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, we talk a lot about it, again, from a number of different perspectives. And today I thought I would just touch on it again. Um, just, you know, with, with the intent and desire that those who wrestle with this would hear these things and find rest instead of wrestling, would find the ability to uh, truly just be at home in the Lord and to know it and to respond to the Lord and to respond even to our failings along the way uh, from the right perspective, a biblical perspective. You know, it's, uh, it's no uh, surprise in, this, in light of these things, that the Holy Spirit would prod Paul to speak very candidly about his own wrestlings in this regard. In Romans chapter 7 and 8, 
chapter 7 in particular where he talks about the wrestling that he uh, goes through in his flesh and he basically boils it down to this the things that I know that I should be doing these things I don't find myself having the strength to do but yet the things that I know I shouldn't be doing these I find myself doing and it just frustrates him to no end to the point where you literally can feel his frustration in the, in, 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 uh, in the passage when he says wretched man that I am now that's important by the way wretched man that I not was but am in other words, Paul understands two fundamental things. Uh, and of course, let me, to go on and finish the passage as he moves into chapter 8, who can who deliver me, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank God in Christ Jesus, right? God can do it, and he has done it through Christ Jesus from a positional standpoint. And then he goes on to speak about, uh, in this whole context, I should say, is really in regard to the idea of him one day having a glorified body the old flesh will be gone and all this kind of thing and so uh, he's thankful that in a positional sense this is true now and in a practical sense it will come later when he's glorified in Christ and that's why later on in chapter 8 he goes on to talk about his position in Christ and all believers positions in Christ based on the finished work of Christ and so again he is really acknowledging two things one is that he is uh, he is positionally right with God. He's in a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. But yet at the same time, there is the reality presently uh, that even before one day I receive my glorified body, and even though I am in a, in a uh, positional right relationship with God, the truth of the matter is, is that here in the present tense, practically speaking, there are still these wrestlings with the flesh and they are legitimate. The struggle is absolutely real. But how do we approach that? How do we deal with that? Well, a lot of us, you know, might tend to deal with it like we talked about at the beginning, where there is this sense that, okay, I need to somehow gain back the ground that I lost. And that ground sort of that I lost took me outside of the grace of God. I must not be a believer. You know, was I ever a believer? Did I lose my salvation? We ask these questions because of our failings, and we, which we think we're somehow not capable of anymore because we're in Christ. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are uh, capable of tremendous failing, even inside of Christ. And so there is the important uh, point that we need to know how to deal with this biblically. Um, when we understand our positional relationship with God, again, this is what Paul talks about when he says, you know, uh, whom the Lord foreknew, these he predestined, whom he predestined, he called, whom he called, he justified, and these he also glorified. Uh, this golden chain of redemption he talks about in, uh, later on in chapter 8 of Romans. This is an important theological truth, and it's no wonder that the devil oftentimes tries to scare people away from understanding these things by, you know, you know, in terms of like, say, the, the discussion on Calvinism and and all that kind of thing, you know, the idea of God's sovereign election and all of this, sometimes people get scared when they see passages like this uh, written by Paul because it, it makes them, well, what if I'm not chosen and this kind of thing? What if God didn't uh, predestine me and all this kind of thing? But the truth of the matter is, is that these words are not intended to scare. They're intended to comfort. Uh, the idea, and, and I'm, I, I've said regularly recently that um, I, I, I do believe that the Bible teaches both, um, you know, God's sovereign election, but yet also there is somehow still 
a, a responsibility that lies on the part of man to respond to these things. And I don't understand how they work together. Uh, and I, I'm thoroughly convinced the more I look into this thing that nobody is. But, um, but that, that, that being said, the idea here and the tension between those two concepts often scares people away. But the truth of the matter is, is that um, uh, passages like that, or in, in Ephesians chapter 1, which we talked about a few weeks ago on our Sunday morning study through Ephesians, um, this concept of the idea of God choosing and this kind of thing is also in connection with the sealing of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. Here in Romans, it's connected with the idea of nothing separating us from the love of God in Christ Jesus at the end of chapter 8. Uh, and so the idea here is that of finding rich comfort satisfying rest in our relationship with God because whom he foreknew ultimately he will glorify that idea that you belong to him means that he will carry you all the way through until the end when you in fact are glorified you will receive that glorified body your wrestlings one day your striving against the flesh and sin will be over practically speaking positionally though in terms of your standing before God it's already dealt with this is why Paul spends so much time in Romans. This is why uh, throughout the New Testament, and really throughout the New and Old Testament, this idea of being saved by God's grace and that being received by faith. Uh, once you are a believer, that demonstrates that you in fact are one whom God has and you're going to be glorified. In other words, you will be carried through to the end and nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is why we talk so much about grace. This is why we talk about and, and, and bring uh, the scriptures to light to help us understand this truth. Because legalism, or the idea of feeling as though I can somehow, through my own self-righteousness, um, bring my standing uh, with God uh, to be where it needs to be, um, positionally speaking. This is why legalism falls so far short. As a matter of fact, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, uh, this really is kind of the main passage that I wanted to, and had in mind when I thought about talking about this today, where Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Have, have you, having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? Are you now being perfected in the flesh? Uh, the idea being that since you were born again, since you were saved by grace, how is it that you think that somehow the responsibility of staying in that grace uh, is now on your shoulders, that somehow you need to maintain and hold on to this through your own efforts. Um, it's interesting that the word perfected there uh, has at its root uh, epi, uh, epitelio, or epitelos, I think is what it is. But anyway, the, the idea of the telos or teleo, that, that Greek term there underlying it, is the same uh, part of the same root that is found when Jesus says it is finished, to telestai. Uh, paid in full, how is it that since you have been saved by God's grace, how is it that you still feel as though you are paying on that debt, is essentially what Paul is talking about in Galatians 3. How can you be so foolish to think that that's true? Um, and that's a really important point. You know, if in fact we have been saved by God's grace, how can we feel as though we are still paying on a debt that has been paid? The analogy is given of, um, of, of a mortgage or a bill of some kind, some huge amount of money. 
once that debt has been paid, and let's say, suppose someone you know loved you and paid that debt for you, how much would you continue to pay on that? You know, when the bill came next month and it said zero, would you still be paying on it? Well, of course, the answer is no. You'd never continue to pay on something that's paid in full because there's nothing left to pay. Well, that's the whole point when it comes to our salvation. If there is, in fact, no debt left to pay, then why do we act as though there is? Why do we still live our lives under the sort of guise that, um, the misguided uh, view that we have something left to pay? When Jesus took our sin upon himself, he paid for them all, past, present, and future. Uh, I'm so fond of quoting 2 Corinthians 5.21, the idea that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The transaction that took place when he took our robe of unrighteousness off and put it on himself and took it to the cross and gave us his robe of righteousness that we didn't earn but was given to us. This is why Paul says in Ephesians that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, this is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, uh, uh, 2.21, the idea that I do not set aside the grace of God uh, because if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died for nothing. The idea that if in fact I could earn it through my righteous activities, deeds, practices, lifestyle, then Jesus didn't have to come to the cross. But the fact that he did come demonstrates all the further the fact that we cannot keep the law. We cannot ultimately earn our salvation. There's no possible way for us to do that. The hard thing is for us to let that go because we feel like we, because we're sort of brought up in a culture that rewards hard work. And when we earn something, we feel like we have earned it. And when we don't get something for work, we haven't worked hard enough to have something, then we feel like we haven't earned it. So therefore we don't have it. But grace and salvation are two completely different things. Salvation by grace through faith is a completely different thing. This is something that is completely the gift of God. Uh, and it's not of works. It could not be plainer. Again, uh, Ephesians 2.8.9, Galatians uh, 2.21. The idea that, um, that this is completely given to us by God. And that he will be faithful once he has given it to complete it fully. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. We know this from, again, Philippians chapter 1. So why keep going over this over and over again? Uh, you know, someone once asked Spurgeon why he preached the gospel every Sunday. And he said, because you forget it. I think human nature causes us to in some way blur the lines and to sort of understand in our minds all these theological truths, the soteriological truths, that our salvation is given to us. It's the gift of God. It's by grace. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to achieve it and this kind of thing. But on a practical basis, every time we screw up, every time we sin, every time we have done something uh, that we know the Lord would, would, would disapprove of, uh, we somehow fall back into this mindset that we've got to earn something back. Now, of course, the other problem is that we go way the other way and we sort of blow off sin like it's no big deal. Like, hey, let's say it's all paid for. There's grace. So I don't, you know, what's the big deal if I continue sleeping with my girlfriend or, you know, get drunk all weekend long and do crazy, stupid things and all this? What's what's wrong with if I, you know, lie a little bit here and there to get ahead? What's wrong? You know, no big deal. So I'm, I'm, I'm saved. This grace covers this kind of thing. I mean, didn't Paul say, I, all things are lawful for me, but not all things benefit? But I can do all things, right? I mean, I, nothing's going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We sort of begin to talk, uh, begin to think in terms of 
you know, just sort of the, um, the, the sloppiness of grace, like, oh, I can use grace to just sort of as license to sin. Well, Paul talked about that in, in Romans chapter six. He said, well, since grace abounds, should we, you know, should we therefore uh, sin the more that grace might abound the more? Should we not test God's grace as a demonstration of just how grand it is? Oh my gosh, no, God forbid, he would say. We should never think that way. Now, it is true that all things, you know, uh, that you are, you can actually commit sin. And because of the finished work of Christ, if you're in Christ, you are protected, just like a child of ours might go completely off, uh, just off the rails somewhere, just wildly going off in sin, totally prodigal. And yet our Father in heaven loves us, and we love our children, and we take them back in this kind of thing. But nobody who really understands the depth of their sin, which is another thing we, as a matter of fact, last Sunday we talked a lot about this. Um, because if we understand fully, uh, just, or at least as fully as we can, the depth of our depravity, our deadness and sin in this, grace becomes all the more glorious and beautiful in our sight. We understand that this is not some thing to be trifled with, but rather it's uh, something to be appreciated from the depth of our soul and to be responded to with love and, and desire to please and all this kind of thing. But it's a response. It's not the earning. It is simply the natural response of somebody who has been given an insurmountable gift, an incomprehensible gift. Um, matter of fact, Paul at the end of Romans 11 just throws his hands up in worship. You know, who can understand such glorious things? Well, understanding grace and understanding the, the lostness that in that position we were is something that prods us to live uh, a life in response to that. Um, so we talk about our deadness and sin, our, our, our lostness, our, our actual condition, so that we might come to truly embrace what grace is really about and to appreciate and understand it and respond to it giving God all of the glory he deserves for this. And of course, that's not just with our lips, but even with our lives. You know, Paul would say that I glorify God with my body. And so, but we have to understand the order. We cannot put the cart before the horse. If we are not saved, then our efforts never earn us anything resembling salvation. They ultimately just feed our sense of self-righteousness. If in fact we are saved, we have to understand that we're saved fully and totally by the grace of God and nothing else. And anything we do that, 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 that we feel contributes to it is a distortion of that and a misunderstanding of the gospel. Uh, we have been reconciled in Christ. The ledger has been washed clean. And, and that means all sin, past, present, and future. And so we can rest in that knowledge. And when we rest in that knowledge, what are we doing? We're resting in the knowledge that we are accepted in the beloved, that we are children of a heavenly father who has an inheritance for us in heaven. And we are guaranteed to be there one day because of that finished work that his son has accomplished at the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection. We are free. We are free. And whom the son sets free is free indeed. And so since you are free, it doesn't mean we're free to sin. It means we're free from sin. We're free not to sin. We're free to uh, choose differently because we have a new nature and this kind of thing. But it also means we're free to rest in the knowledge that we belong to him fully and totally. We have we are free from fear. John would say in, uh, in his own first epistle that uh, perfect love casts out fear. And when he's talking about that, it's important to recognize the context. Uh, sure, we can say that in Christ we don't have to actually be afraid of anything, but he's talking about being free of the fear of judgment. 
So you are free of the fear of judgment. Why? Because Christ took it all upon himself, and so therefore we are free again. Whom the Son has, uh, has freed is free indeed. So, Father, we thank you. How we thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. Not freedom to just live in any horrible, awful way. Sure, we know that we're not going to be cast out of your family and this kind of thing, but what kind of a son who appreciates the goodness and, and grace of their father would ever treat that uh, treat that, and treat him in such a way? And so, Father, help us to see grace and appreciate it and embrace it and walk in it uh, with a true sense of appreciation for all that it is once we truly recognize just how much we don't deserve it, how lost we truly were and would be if not for your grace. Father, we thank you that the bad news only serves to ultimately, uh, or, or serves at least in one way, to ultimately make all the more glorious the good news. And we, so we thank you that in Christ, the good news has had its effect in us, and we are ultimately now born again, saved children of a heavenly Father, uh, whom we will one day see unafraid and unashamed because of the finished work of Christ. So, Lord, we thank you and we bless you and praise you for showing us such kindness, such grace. And, uh, and Father, we just pray that for the rest of our days, that, Lord, we would simply live in response to all of that goodness. Thank you again for all that you have done. Help us to enjoy your rest, your peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We thank you that, uh, Father, we don't have to ever live in fear of judgment if, in fact, we are born again, if, in fact, we belong uh, uh, to you, having put our trust in Christ himself, who died, was buried, and rose again for our sanctification, justification, glorification, all of these things. How we love you and thank you and praise you for this. And we do pray that, Father, again, you would help us to rest in you. Lord, we love you and thank you that we no longer have to feel like we strive or any of these things. Gosh, I'm just so thankful, Lord, for what you have done. We praise you, we bless you, and thank you for this. In Jesus' name.